How's everybody feeling this morning? Are we doing okay? Yes. Are we here? Are we alive? Are we engaged? Are we ready for the word? Yes. Good. I'm glad 20 people in this big old room is ready for the word. Is somebody ready to receive the word this morning? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I see a lot of y'all that, uh, that have not been with us the last few weeks, so let me catch you up so you don't feel like you're missing anything that's been going on. The last few weeks, we've been uh, talking about how uh, we believe that the theme that the Lord has laid on this congregation for the year is to cling tightly to Jesus. Amen. Everybody say, cling tightly, cling tightly. to Jesus. I believe the word uh, in my own, as I was praying in my own personal life for the things that I know are coming up in 2020, that's the phrase I heard, was the Spirit say, cling tightly to Jesus. As I began to pray for our congregation and the things that I know inevitably will come up, you can never make it through a year clean, can you? Good grief. Something just always coming right around the corner. The word I heard the Spirit lay on my heart was, Tell them to cling tightly to Jesus. And as I pray for our world, man, will we make it five days before stuff started popping off in 2020? Good grief. And that's, that's, we haven't even gotten into, into all the wild stuff that's going to happen yet this year. I heard the Lord say, cling tightly to Jesus. And so we've been talking about that, and as we talk about that, we've been looking at this instance where, uh, where Jesus calls his first disciples. He's like, I'm not going to do this by myself. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take people with me to make sure that, that even after I'm gone, this mission and this ministry gets passed on. He had this interaction on, on the side of the sea uh, with, with the apostle Peter. We know him to be Peter now. At the time, his name was Simon. And we've been looking at this interaction. The first week, we talked talked about how when when he comes up to him, as found in Matthew's gospel in chapter 4, when Jesus and and Peter first interact, Jesus offers an invitation. He says, come follow me. And that same invitation is open for us as well. Jesus is offering us the invitation, come follow me. I see that you're looking for something. I see, that, I see that you've been out here for a while, and, and at this point, you're kind of going through the motions of life, and I see that you're tired, and I see that you're exhausted, and I see you've been trying things over and over, and just nothing seems to stick. He says, come follow me, and I'll take you where it is that you need to go. Last week, we got into the second part of that invitation. That second part is he says, come follow me. And I'll teach you how to fish for people. That's specific in its, in, in its wordplay for, for, for Simon Peter specifically because he is a fisherman. Yes. He's like, I see you out here with your trade, with your passion, with, with your vocation. He, sa- he, he says, you can do that with it, right? But as long as you're doing that with it, you're going to have nights where you come back empty netted, yes. where you net nothing. Will you come back and you're salty about the fact that you're cleaning your nets and you're not out here to, to gut some fish? But he says, if you do it with me, let me show you how to fish or whatever it is that you're passionate about under my authority. Kingdom success is inevitable. And now this week, we get into our final look at that same interaction. We've looked at the way Matthew tells us in chapter 4. We looked, at, we looked at the expanded edition, the way Luke details it in chapter 5. 
You know those doctors, always about the details. Now we get into my favorite telling of the instance in John's gospel. It's found in John chapter 1. And it's one verse. Because John, the, John doesn't spend a whole lot of time on stories. He prefers more so to focus on the meaning of what Jesus says rather than the, than the happenings of his surroundings. So if you'll look, if you have your Bibles with, with you, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. It's the first chapter, so it should be the very first or second-ish page because we're going to drop down to 40, verse 42, and this is our verse for the morning. It says, Then Andrew brought Simon, remember Simon's Peter, Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon... Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. That's it. That's all John says about the whole interaction. We've been talking about it for three weeks. John sums it up in a sentence, two, two sentences. That's why I love John, man. He's like, look, y'all can be cute. I know you like to be storytellers. Oh, it's so funny. Make people feel things. Let me tell you what Jesus is really saying. Here it is. You're talking about, oh, he's out here fishing and, and he's throwing his nets and he's tired. And Jesus comes on and says, I noticed you have a boat. I like to be on boats. Let me be on the boat. John's like, no, no, no. Cut all that. He goes up to Simon. He says, you're Simon. Now you're Peter. Done. I love it. I love it. It's so, it's so simple. Last week in Luke, when we read the expanded edition, we saw Jesus teaching along the shores. We see that he sees a couple, a couple fishermen who hadn't caught anything. He goes out onto the sea with those fishermen. He goes out and he, sa he says, throw your nets. And there's a funny little exchange like, what do you think we've been doing? You don't think we've been throwing our nets? But okay, if you say throw your nets, we'll throw our nets. And then guess what? The nets are full. The nets are so full that a second boat's got to come out. A whole nother crew's got to come out to help pull it in. And even still, the nets are breaking. There's an abundance when we listen and live under God's authority. There's an abundance available to us. He tells them, come, come, come follow me. Come follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people. But in, but in the gospel of Luke, what is Simon's response in chapter 5, verse 8? He's like, get, get away from me. Get away from me because you don't know who I am. I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. What Simon is saying is, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Clearly, there's something about you, right? There's something about Jesus. He says, clearly, there's something about you, and I'm not worthy to be in your presence. You got, you got to go. If you only knew who I was, if you only knew who I was, you wouldn't be talking to me. Teacher, if, if, if you knew all the things that I was caught up in, you wouldn't be blessing me like this. He says, Master, if you had any idea what I was guilty of, if you have any idea what I did just this morning or the thoughts I had while I was out on the boat or the ways that I've, that, that I've cheated my business partners, if, if, if you had any idea who I really was, you got to go. But in John, the way John tells it, he gets to the point. 
focus on the first half of what Jesus says. He says, your name is Simon, son of John. Jesus knew exactly who Simon was. Jesus knew exactly who Simon was. Now, they haven't met before. They hadn't, they, hadn't, they hadn't linked up on Facebook or anything like that. I know it's hard to believe, but it didn't exist back then. They weren't friends. They didn't follow each other on social media. Simon, at this point, had, had heard whispers of the, Messiah's being on, the Messiah being on the way. But as far as any interaction prior to this point, there wasn't one. And yet still... Jesus looks at him and says, no, I know you. You're Simon. He says, you're Simon. I know your name. You ever go somewhere, meet somebody, and then the next time you come back, they remember your name? You feel known. You feel known. You feel like, oh, like you, you remember me. Perhaps as you were going throughout your week, you thought about the fact that you had met me. And now that I'm here now, you remember my name, which means you care enough about me to remember you, you to somehow, to some extent, must care about me. It's good to be known. You ever, you ever get, we just got done with Christmas, you ever have somebody get you something that's like, it's not even that expensive, it's not even that flashy, and somebody else sees that they got you that, and you're kind of like, what the heck? Like, why would they get you that? But you get it because it was specific to you. They got you that because as they were walking, they saw it and they thought of you and they got that for you. And that meant something to you. It's good to be known. When Jesus calls out his name, he says, you're Simon. And Simon's like, oh, you know me. Then he says, you're Simon Son of John. He says, not only do I know you, not only do I know who you are and also who you present yourself to be, but yes, Simon, I do know where you're coming from. I know exactly where you're from. I know exactly what you've been through. Hey, I know what it's like to have John as your dad. I know what it was like in that school that you went to. I know at what age they told you you were not worthy of continuing education. I know how you got yourself down here on the docks. I know since the day you were born, there was an expectation placed on you that in some ways you could never live up to. I know where you're coming from. How often do we have the exact same expectations and interaction with God. God, if you knew who I was, if you knew the things I was into, God, if you only knew. No, I can't. I know, No, sir, I cannot go in church. You ever hear somebody say, if I walk in church, I'm going to burst into flames instantly? That's stupid on a lot of levels, but I love you. If that's you this morning, like, I love you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you haven't combusted yet. Like, <laughs> said, I can't go to God. He, you, don't know, you don't know what's been going on, man. And you know what? If I'm going to be completely real with you, it's not all my fault either. Like, a lot of this stuff has been done to me. 
A lot of this stuff has to do with where I'm from. A lot of this stuff has to do with the people that I've had around me. A lot of this stuff has been happening in my family for, 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 for generations. If, if God knew who I really was, well, listen, I need you to catch this. Point number one. I've only got three, and then I'm out your way. Point number one. It's going to be up on the screen. God knows who you are. God knows who you are. God is omniscient. Can you say that back to me? Can you say omniscient? Omniscient means all-knowing, means there's not a thing, there's not a thought, there's not an existence, there's not a presence, there's not a single thing that God does not know. God is well aware. In Psalm 139, it says, it says, oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I get up. You discern my thoughts from way up there. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are well acquainted with all of my ways. God knows. Not only does he know who you are, but he knows also where you're coming from. You don't understand what I've been through. Well, as a matter of fact, there's another word I need you to know, and that's omnipresent. Say that back to me one time. Say omnipresent. Omnipresent, omnipresent means God is everywhere. Yes. In that same Psalm 139, again, it says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go all the way to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed all the way down in Sheol, you're there. No matter where I go, there is not a single space I can make it to. There is not a cover I can put on my head. There is not a lie I can tell the world without you knowing exactly where I'm at. God already knows who we are. God already knows where we're coming from and what we've been through. And yet he still has something for us. I get the feeling like somebody this morning just needs to stop right there and just know that you are known. Your background is known. Your future is known. Your present is known. And God still has something for you. Look at the second half of what, of what he says to Simon. Back to verse 42. He says, oh, I know who you are. You're Simon. You're son of John. We're going we're gonna to pause because I'm going to let that sink into you, Simon. And then he says, but, but, now you will be called Cephas, which is an Aramaic word that means rock. Peter, which is the Greek word, means rock. He says, you're Simon, you're son of John. I know you, I know where you're from, but now I will call you Rock. I mean, it is what it is. Like, Jesus named it. I ain't going to argue with him, but, like, I got a rock. Um, we need to understand what's happening here. See, there's weight in this moment. This isn't, this isn't just like, nah, you don't look like a Simon. You, you look more like a rock. It's not that. It's not that. There is weight in this moment. There, it, it's a blessing. It means something when God changes your name. 
I think back to Genesis. I think back to back to Abram, who was just who was just this 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 cranky old man because because he didn't have any kids and he had no, nobody to pass anything down to. It was just going to be for his servants because I'm old and I never had any kids and now I'm too old to have kids. And God says, uh uh no. He says, he says, you're not Abram. You're Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations. You are going to have kids and your kids are going to have a lot of kids and a lot of kids are going to have a lot of kids and a lot of those kids are going to have a lot of kids. Actually, Abram, out of you, I will make a great nation. No, you're not Abram. You're Abraham. He goes to one of the descendants. He goes to Jacob. And Jacob wants to wrestle with God. He wants to be like, no, God, you and me got some things that we got to work out. There's some things happening down here, God. There's some things happening right here that you got to see me about. There's just, there's just something that I can't, and we got to wrestle it out. I need my blessing. I need something from you. I can't keep going on my own. I need a blessing, even if I got to wrestle it out of you. I need it. And he says, here's your blessing. You're no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. Does that name sound familiar to anyone else in here? Jesus says, all your life you've been Simon, son of John. That comes with a certain connotation, right? Oh, he's son of, oh, he's John's kid. Oh, bro. So, oh, son of John. Oh. That comes with a certain expectation. Oh, he's from that family line. Oh, he's a part of, oh, got you. People around here see you and, and they know you as Simon, son of John. They, they know the things that you've done and that's what's remembered about you. They know what you wake up and put on and then go do, and that's what they tie to your name in their minds. And you've said it yourself. You said, I'm Simon, and I'm a sinful man. That's how you're known. But I, Jesus, say to you, when I look at you, I do not see a sinful man. When I look at you, I realize that that's what they've told you. I realize that that's what you've told you. But when I look at you, Simon, I see Peter. I see a rock. I see a foundation. I see a pillar. I see an immovable and simultaneously a living stone. The world says you are this, but I say you are this. A couple months ago, my five-year-old daughter, her name's Sarah, um, brings home homework. I thought I was done doing homework. I really did. Like, I graduated from high school, and I was like, I'm never doing homework again. And then three years into college, I was like, I should do homework. And so I did homework for one year. And then after I graduated from college, I was like, I never have to do homework again. 
Rachel's talking like, I love my master's. You should go get a master's. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I made a covenant with myself in 2012 (laughs) that I will never do homework again. Here's what I realized. Homework is a result of the fall of humanity. I believe we are doomed. We are doomed. Sorry, teachers in the room, this one's for you. I believe that we are doomed as people to repeat a lifelong cycle of doing homework because as soon as I thought I was doing homework, now my five-year-old, she's five. What homework does she have to do? She barely reads, but she comes home and she's like, I have homework. And I'm like, I have homework. Anyway, the homework was easy enough. It's this little project that she's putting together for class. And one of the questions that's asked there is, what does your name mean? And I looked at Rachel and I was like, easy. Sarah means princess. Done. I actually think that might be true, but I'm not super sure, so don't fact check me. But I was like, I was like, Sarah means princess, done. It matches her personality, matches who she is, just, just done. And Rachel looks at me, she's like, you know her name is deeper than that. You know why we named her what we named her. And I looked at her and I was like, Rachel, this is a preschool project. <laughs> they don't want to know all of that. They want Sarah means princess. (laughs) She reminds me of why we named our daughter Sarah. It was the story of aforementioned Abraham and Sarah. They were promised their children would become a great nation. Rachel and I had an unsuccessful pregnancy our first time around. Sarah was the second pregnancy. It was not the first child of Abraham, but the second child of Abraham, the one that he had with his wife, Sarah, that was the fulfillment of God's promise. And so for us, for us, it was meaningful for us to name our daughter, second pregnancy, Sarah. And as Sarah grows up, she'll be called things. She will call herself things. But her father will always remember. When I look at Sarah, I will never see the things that the world calls her. I will never see the things that she convinces herself that she is. I will only ever see a blessing. Who have you allowed to name you? Who have you allowed to tell you who you are? Sometimes, sometimes we, we get to a point where we start to name ourselves. We name ourselves or, or sometimes we do allow others to name us. We begin to put up this thing called an image. We build, we, we, we begin to build an image for ourselves based on the feedback of the mirror, based on the feedback of our self-awareness, based on the feedback about what people around us say. An image allows us to present a particular version of ourselves to the world, and we try our best to make the image of ourselves that we present be our whole identity. We like to say that I'm the smart kid. That's who I am. A lot of us find our image, we make our image and we find our identity in being smart. 
Some of us find, find our identity in being rich. Some of us, some of us make our identity, the image that we put out there is that it's, it's, this is who we are because I'm married or because I'm single. And we make that our identity. For some people, it's your sexuality, the sexual choices that you make. And you just say things like, this is who I am, as if that's the entirety of your identity. A lot of people have grown up, you've been the athletic one. You've been the jock. And that's who you've made yourself to be. Some of us run this danger that happens a lot with when our kids are young that we make our whole identity a parent. I'm a parent. I'm a dad. And I'll always be a dad as long as I live. But at some day, Sarah and Kaylee will no longer look to me to do the things that dad has done for 18 or more years. It's conditional. That's different. All of those things are different than our God-given identity. Those things are images. Those things are partial things. Those things are who we portray. But our identity should be found in who God says we are. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Got it real quick. Matthew chapter 16. Another exchange between Jesus and Peter. He says, now I say to you, this is an exchange, this is later on. He says, I say to you that you're Peter. I'm reminding you of who you are. Because sometimes we, sometimes we know who God has called us. Sometimes we know who God has asked us to be. Sometimes we know exactly what God is living us, asking us to live into. And a lot of times, we still don't do it. We still don't do it. Or we do it for a while and we fall off. And we do it, we're good for a minute, and then we just dip our toe out of pocket. And then you, next thing you know, my pinky toe is my equilibrium. And so now I'm just all the way into out of pocket. And sometimes we need to be reminded. And here Jesus reminds Peter. He says, I say, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, upon Peter, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell can't conquer you. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth, it'll be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth, it'll be permitted in heaven. Peter, you are the rock. You are the foundation. You are the pillar of what I'm going to do to make sure that this movement keeps on going. The world would have said, oh, that's John's kid. The world would have said, oh, that's that fisherman. The world would have said, that's that political extremist who wants to overthrow the whole government. The world would have said, that dude is impulsive. The world would have said, that dude is argumentative. The world would have said, that dude is unstable. The world would have said, that dude is anything but consistent, and he's not a rock. Jesus says, you're a rock. And on this rock, this rock right here, this argumentative one right here, this impulsive one right here, this political zealot right here, on this rock... You will be a pillar of the foundation I'm laying for the world-changing movement that will save lives. He says, Peter, you've been given authority. Do you get that? Peter, you've been given the keys. Do you get that? 
Peter, despite all your ups and downs, you're going to do some dope stuff. A few centuries later, people are going to call you a saint. And all the disciples laugh. I know. Imagine that. Peter, a saint. But that's how you'll be remembered. Jesus named Peter, catch this, not for who he was, but for who he would become. Jesus named Peter not for who he was, but for who he would become. That, brothers and sisters, is an invitation. That's an invitation. Jesus sees us today not for who we say we are, not for who others say we are, but for who, by his grace, we can become. Jesus names us. For who, by his grace, we can become. Jesus doesn't see us by our job titles. When he sees an accountant, he doesn't see an accountant. He probably sees something more similar to a steward of resources. When Jesus looks at somebody and sees a doctor, he doesn't see a doctor. He sees somebody that he's blessed to heal. Jesus doesn't see us by the condition of our family. When he sees someone who's been orphaned or abandoned, he doesn't see an orphan. He sees a son. He sees a daughter. He sees somebody who's in his family. And maybe their biological family has let them down, but he won't. When Jesus looks at us, he doesn't identify us or recognize us or put this image up of us of our brokenness or our separation. When Jesus sees us, he sees reconciliation. Jesus doesn't see us by our relationship status, our quirky habits, or our deepest, darkest. Jesus sees us for who he has made us to be and for who he plans we will become. The question is, will you accept that? Do you accept that for yourself? I think that's honestly one of the biggest hurdles in faith. It's, it's like not even like comprehending the stuff that was in the Bible is true. It's literally, do you accept the abundance of grace, the unimaginable, the otherwise unattainable, the impossible to comprehend grace that is over your life? Can you actually accept that? Some of us have such poor self-image that we can't possibly believe that somebody that unconditionally would do all of this for us. Do you accept that Jesus is calling you by your name to follow him? So what do you need to do? What do you need to do this morning? For some of you, I imagine it's time for you to accept Jesus for the very first time. It's time for you to stop fighting it. It's time for you to stop reasoning with it. It's time for you to stop putting yourself down. Listening to the words that others say, except the fact that Jesus speaks a better word and even still calls us up. Somebody needs to accept Jesus into their life for the first time and accept the abundance of blessings that comes when you live under the authority of Jesus. Yeah, there's still ups and downs. Life is still life. But Jesus is a good father. He's a good dad. He'll never leave you 
busted, broken down on the side of the road. He's going to tell you, I see you busted and broken down on the side of the road. Get out your car. Come follow me. Maybe you need to publicly declare in front of your community, in front of your family, in front of your people. Maybe you need to publicly declare the transformation that God's already been doing on the inside. Maybe you've never taken the step to, 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 to publicly declare that before. It's always been something that's internal. Our faith isn't meant, meant just for us. Our faith isn't meant to stay internal. Our faith is meant to be expressed. I would say it's not actually faith until it's expressed, but that's a sermon for another day. Maybe you need to publicly declare for the first time. The transformation that God has been taking you through. I'm so happy that we get to celebrate with a few folks who are going to publicly declare that this morning. Maybe you need to join too. Listen, they're getting baptized in their clothes. You can get baptized in your clothes too. We got a towel. We'll figure it out. It's cold outside, but Jesus is bigger than the cold. We'll work it out. Ain't no reason not to take this step this morning. Maybe you've been at this for a minute, but, but the people around you keep speaking these worldly words. Maybe the people around you keep reminding you of who you were over here back when you were Simon, son of whoever. And you need to be around people who are going to remind you, you are Peter, you are Cephas, you are rock, you are church, like you're going. Maybe you need to join community this morning. If that's you, man, man, I encourage you to find somebody who looks like they've been here for a minute and ask them how to do it. Maybe, maybe the Lord is pressing on your heart to start opening your home. Oh, I love to express it on Sunday. I love to go to places and, 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 and make sure that I'm doing the things that God would have me do in those spaces. But my home, people coming in here, people like sharing this type of life with me. No, no, no. I don't know about that. People are dirty and their hands and their stuff and their feet and wiping off their shoes. Maybe, maybe it's time for you to open up your home. Maybe it's time for you to open up your home because that might be the only way that somebody else comes to faith is they won't accept an invitation to church. I don't care if you're getting baptized or not. I ain't coming in there on Sunday. I'll combust when I get there. But, but dinner? Yeah, how's Tuesday? However it is that the Spirit lays on your heart to accept the identity and the intentions he has for you, this morning is the time to do it. The time to do it is right now.